And now, ladies and gentlemen, check it out. You've got to start somewhere. The podcast that takes you behind the scenes of show business to prove there's no such thing as an overnight success. With your host, Rachel Corbett. Welcome to the show. Today, I have one of my fave ladies in the business. She is delightful. She is super talented and she is one of the most down-to-earth people in television. It is the host of Studio 10, Sarah Harris. Oh, you are a darling. Thank you for saying that stuff. I'm excited to have you on for a number of reasons. The first is that I think you are spectacular. The second is that the podcast was becoming a bit of a sausage fest. Yes. A lot of men Mm -hmm. on the show. I think you are only the second woman Mm -hmm. I have had on this program so it is time that we've got some boozies on the show i'm glad that yours are here to join me i'm pretty flat-chested but i will do my best you and me both so uh, this show is all about sort of the beginnings of where you started and how you got to where you are because obviously when you're on the telly all the time it's something that people don't really talk about anymore is how you kind of got to to that point and obviously your life from the very beginning was very different to what it is now growing up with your mum quite young when she had you in Mount Druitt. Um, Was this something that you dreamed of when you were a kid? Do you know, it probably didn't occur to me that this is something I wanted to do until I was in high school. However, my aunt said to me that she remembers me being an eight-year-old saying that I wanted to be a journalist. I have no recollection of that. Um, But, yeah, it certainly hit me later. Um, And it's funny, it's um, the question of how did you get into TV is something that I am asked so much. Mm. It's one of the first things that people ask at parties or when I meet people um, because there's still some sort of, um, I suppose, romance and mystery behind how you get on the telly. And I think because I've done it for such a long time, I forget that – that I that I do what I do, and um, you kind of have to stop and say to yourself every now and then, "Hey, it's pretty cool, actually, yeah. what, what we do." Um, and it's not an easy question to answer when people go, "How did you get into it?" And it's like, "How long have you got?" Like it was a meandering road of bits and pieces of stuff until here I am. Yeah, and it's that whole thing of um, overnight success that took ten years, That's you it. know, and 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 doing you know the crappy jobs and mm-hmm. the hard jobs, but. That's what makes you a better journalist and an all-rounder and I suppose have a greater respect for all the other parts of the industry as well. Because I started at the bottom, I saw what it was like to be at the bottom looking up at the top Mm. and how people treated me at the time. I had some people who were beautiful, people who were not so beautiful. Yeah. And I think I remember uh, going through that and thinking, if I'm ever lucky enough to to climb the ladder that high, I want to be nice to the people um, sort of, you know, who are around me because it's it's such a bad look oh, when 100%. people are wankers. Yeah, it's you know? really bad. You and when you've think- been on the receiving end of that, there are some people that take that let it sink in and then repeat that behaviour. And then there are other people who take that, let it sink in and go, oh, this feels rubbish and I'm never going to make somebody feel like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting that people go a number of different ways. W- what were you like as a kid? Were you were you a performing kind of kid? Oh, well, I did, I did dance, that's for <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, was, I was a little bit. I, um, I, you know, I was a performer. I, I, I did dance. I was forever putting on... Um, putting on little dance shows for my friends and my family, much to their um, annoyance. (laughs) Um, I found confidence particularly in performing, but mostly I was a a pretty anxious kid, Mm -hmm. like very – 
very kind of anxious about the world and anxious to be liked. Yeah. You know, some people when they say they have these really carefree childhoods, I didn't really have that. I just remember being very serious and, and thinking too much about the world all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, not carefree because I didn't grow up with much because it's all I knew. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just was like any other kid because that's that's all I knew. But um, what was it that you think made you that way, feeling anxious? And I, I don't know. I think it's just an inherent trait in me. I, it, it's definitely calmed down as I've become older. But there's, there's almost this sense of um, this need to be perfect that you kind yeah. of have to quieten down as you get older because it can paralyze you into inaction yeah um but yeah I just I don't know I just wanted to I just I just wanted people to like me <laughs> Didn't as, we all? As, as Sally Field would say but yeah you kind of you get comfortable in your skin when you grow up you know and yeah. uh and and you care less about what other people think of you but then you also realize uh that the less you care and and it's it's tricky because sometimes when people say i don't care what people think about me i go oh you're a horrible person because it's yes. that i'm going to be awful and i don't care it's not that that we're talking about it's that sort of oh i am who i am i'm going to be the best person i can be i'm going to be nice to people um and if i don't connect with them if we don't work that's okay I, that not everybody has to like me but the interesting thing I've certainly found because I was quite similar as a kid as well very shy quite anxious um, even though a lot of people said that I was very out there I didn't feel out there mm-hmm. inside were you the same I was exactly the I same. was faking it till I made it exactly the same I, yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you on that regard and when it comes to sort of saying I don't care you're, you're exactly right it's it's a different way of thinking so you have to ch- sort of change your mindset I remember especially when I first started in TV I was so desperate to please Mm -hmm. that the desperation came across so rather than just going you know what I'm going to love this story I'm going to love the process of chasing down a story and coming back and and writing a wonderful script and you know picking out the best grabs and and making this story sing instead of caring about that I was caring about what people think what will people think Mm -hmm. as soon as it just and it was just one day just something clicked where I went well I don't care if they like it or not I'm excited about this story and this is the way I'm going to approach it things started falling into place well you all of a sudden you have a bit more control over your life because this is a business that you don't have a great deal of control over, you know. You are at the whim of executives who can like you or not like you. There can be ratings issues. There can be a million different variables that you have zero control over. Mm-hmm. And everything that you put forward into the ether is subjectively consumed. So people will have a million different opinions about what your story was like, what you are like as a presenter, what you seem like as a person, whether they like what you look like or not. All of these things that you can't control and really the only thing you control is how can I approach this individual job? Can I do the best job of this? Can I be good at it so I'm sort of proud of myself for doing a good job here? And the rest you just have to kind of leave, right? Because mm. mm. otherwise you drive yourself nuts. You do. And especially um, in the game where we offer opinions every day, mm. people can take what you say 30,000 different ways. Exactly. The number of times that I've said something that I, I thought the intent was extremely clear on it people might have looked you know seen an eyebrow raise or mm. heard a tone in my voice that reminded them of something that brings up their own biases and prejudices so they then make a, a you know an assumption on what i've said and what i actually mean mm-hmm. and that kind of you know for a while there i was trying to 
try to keep everyone happy yeah. and and I was trying to make myself heard clearly by everyone but I just became boring and bland yeah. and beige and <laughs> I just went well I can't you actually can't please all of the people all of the time no you've just you know there's this great quote you know reputation comes from what people see you doing and integrity um, comes from privately how you act and I suppose a moral code and a moral compass that you decide to follow and that's what you have to maintain your integrity and the rest follows you're obviously a really driven person you know you don't get to this spot without being quite driven and committed to what you're doing was that something that you just were from the very beginning as a little kid like was your mum a real push was she somebody who was like you can be better you can do anything yeah well she you know I, I, I like to say that you know um my mum really gave me the first taste of feminism. Mm-hmm. You know, she had me a week after her 18th birthday. I don't think she wanted to change her life, but I think she wanted more for mine. Mm. And from the moment that I can remember, she would say, you need to, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be. you just got to work your bum off and stay humble and, you know, work hard and you will be pushed forward when the time is right. She said, earn your own money. Don't be beholden to a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and anything you want, you can get if, if you're willing to work hard for it. That was, I think that's what pushed me and that's what inspired me. And um, I think part of the reason I've ended up where I am is because it was a bit of luck meets hard work. Mm-hmm. I, I was very fortunate enough to get my foot in the door with some work experience at Channel 7 when I was still in high school. And it's because I worked my ass off when I was there for the week that I was given further opportunities to work for Channel 7. You How know, did that come weekends. about? How did you get Well, that? I was um, in grade 11. They put you on work experience placement. I wanted to uh, be either a director or a lawyer. And I was hoping to be placed at La Boite Theatre in Brisbane. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's really a, a path that I see myself going down now. Oh, my God. Yeah. But, um, yes, yeah, so I wanted to go to La Boite Theatre. They put me at Channel 7. I was I'm not overly excited about it, but my, my teachers at um, Caboolture High School, um, which I just cannot say enough about it was such a wonderful school and certainly the making of me um as a journalist and as a person I suppose but as they tend to do with uh work experience kids because you know tv stations are busy places Mm -hmm. and they don't have time to to hold work experience kids hands so they stuck me in the mail room in the guts of the building at channel 7 in Brisbane and gave me a thousand Christmas cards to stuff into envelopes those were always the jobs that you got. And, and then they must have thought, well, you know, she's she's sweet for a week. Yeah. By the end of the day, I'd finished. Wow. It's like, what you got next for me? And I'm like, <laughs> oh god, we're going to have to give her something else. And then they they kept giving me these menial tasks, which I would just bash out. Mm-hmm. And I tried to be keen but not annoying. And yeah, I I I. Uh, ended up in the newsroom going out with some journos on the road and from the moment I the very first time I walked into the Channel 7 newsroom there was this buzz in the air and you know journos running around and the chief of staff screaming at someone and phones ringing off the hook and I was like I need to be part of this this yeah. is something that I want in on and yeah I just I got bitten really early I wanted to be a journo I wanted to be out there reporting and 
that's what I put my mind to. So then was it, okay, I'm going to go study this at university. Was that the plan? You went to uni and studied yeah. and then did they did that turn into any kind of part-time work or yeah. anything there? So I was basically doing um, weekend work at Channel 7. I was I was writing the weather reports and, and recording the news, which was a huge deal, as well as doing school. I got into international business and journalism at QUT, great university, um, but then I actually got a regional job. And when I say regional, I got, I got to work it on the Gold Coast, which is pretty right. amazing. I yeah. didn't go country, but, you know, I, I, I got the feel of a regional newsroom in that I was doing three or four stories a day. I'd write updates. I'd sit down at the end of the day and do the auto cue for the newsreader, the host of the show, and... Uh, rinse and repeat do it all again and I, I was doing that Monday to Friday plus I was doing weekends at Channel 7 so I had to defer uni for a while because I just couldn't keep all balls in the air mm. you know I ended up I ended up leaving uni when I got a full-time job because it just made sense to learn yeah. learn the trade on the ground Absolutely. rather than sit in a class and yeah. learn all the theory behind it it annoys me still though that I've got these like four subjects left oh. To, to do and it's just, it's never going to get done and yeah. it's just I wish I did have that piece of paper because I actually worked really bloody hard at school and I did well and I just didn't have the time. The, the time end. would have lapsed now. You couldn't go back and finish no, those I four know. subjects, could you? No. Thanks, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> wow, way to make you feel bad. Uh, I actually went back to uni and did journalism at nights like a couple of years ago. See, now, now I sort of go, well, what's there to learn about journalism? Maybe if I went back I'd do, I don't know, political science. Yeah. Or a psychology degree, you know, to deal with all the sociopaths that work in the media. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it does help. Or, or, or something that kind of, you know, gives me a niche or, you know, a separate interest because I look at kids that are going through uh, journalism school these days and they're, they're debating, you know, the importance of ethics when it comes to news stories and things like that. But it's done in such a vacuum. It's mm. not done in a space where there are newspapers folding because they don't have any revenue to keep reporters in jobs, Mm. you know? Like there's – we can't exist in this, you know, we're just out for the pursuit of truth and we're not up against, you know, online news and Facebook and Google News and that type of thing. We need to be smarter about the way we uh, approach journalism and – monetize it in a way as well with without completely um disregarding our journal our journalism values mm. and a lot of you know a lot of kids will sit in this in the classroom and sort of say i would never do this that and the other thing it's like but if you got offered a job that paid you well you would take it or if you know, or, or if a chief of staff is is screaming at you mm. and you know two other channels are, are you know are pushing the limits on on something on the road and trying to lock up talent and, and another big thing that kids often do is they say well we would never do death knocks well you don't know if you're in that position until you're in that What's position a death knock a death knock oh a death knock that's where you, it's it's horrible um it's where you go and knock on the door of a family who's lost a loved one. Oh, have yeah. you had to do that i've done a number of them over the years um some have been really positive i've been welcomed into the homes of um, people who've lost you know family members and sat with you know mums and dads and had cups of tea and told their stories other times quite rightly so i've had the door slammed in my face i've had things thrown at me it's one of those strange situations where people say you shouldn't do death knocks it's an invasion of privacy we wouldn't do them if people didn't watch them yeah yeah you know and your job as a journalist is to ask the question and go 
when I was doing them, and they were awful, but to keep them so brief, you knock on the door, you say, look, I'm a journalist, I don't want to be here, I know you don't probably don't want me here, but I just need to ask, do you want to say anything, would you like to tell your story? They can either tell you to F off, yeah. or they invite you in, and um, some of them do find it cathartic mm. to to pay tribute to a, to a son or a daughter, or, or, or to share a story about, I remember once in Brisbane, uh, there was a an 18-year-old kid who was driving home from work and he was working shift work and hadn't had sleep for days and, you know, single car accident, crashed into a tree. And, you know, his dad wanted to talk to me to warn other kids about the dangers of working shift work and not having a rest and working too hard. And the big message that he wanted other kids to know and to take away um, was... It, it's not worth it. It's mm. not worth putting your life at risk if, you, um, if you're being worked to the bone. I guess the interesting thing about being a journalist often is that you are very much on the front line of, of life, of history, of, you know, you're often sent to the floods, the cyclones, the, those moments that, you know, are um, flashed all over the news and, you know, going and knocking on the, the, the door of somebody who's just lost a life. You know, it's not sitting at a desk sending emails all day. It's like really gritty, interesting, for want of a better word, work, you know. It's, there, there's elements of it that are difficult, but it's a pretty big privilege to be the person that gets to go and see those things and talk to those people yeah and you know certainly um you know I've traveled the world and I've covered some pretty big stories and there there have been moments when I for example I was standing outside Westminster Abbey when um uh well she wasn't the Duchess of Cambridge then but Kate Middleton she got out of the car and um you know her sister Pippa and that famous derriere (laughs) um you know and I sort of had to pinch myself and go this is such a moment. This yeah. this moment is going to be played over and over and over again for, for years and decades and centuries to come. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like it was just it was it was so cool to be part of that. I got to travel to Gallipoli uh, to Anzac Cove and uh, be there as Australians commemorated Anzac Day, and it was a really emotional moment. Mm. And it was it was funny because you're awake literally for 24 hours because of the time difference and you're servicing all these different news services, you know, the daytime news, breakfast television, on the phone to radio all day. So you're pretty tired but you're running on adrenaline. Mm. And then the moment itself when the sun rises and the last post plays, it's so emotional and so overwhelming. I burst into tears and you kind of – I don't know. You, you see it as a not just a journalist who's going, right, I've got to get five minutes um, of, of copy down and I need to voice it in the car under a blanket so the sound's okay. <laughs> and I've got this cross coming up at, you know, 11.30 and I've got to do a quick radio cross as well to that FM station that's calling from Newcastle. Um, all right, is my hair okay? You're also going, I, I'm just so fortunate yeah. to be standing here and to, to be standing on such sacred ground and, and you know, witnessing this, this moment in history. It's pretty cool. Do you miss being on the road? Sometimes, yeah, I do. Yeah. I um, I do because you, you do, you just live off adrenaline mm. and, you know, there's a, there's a certain competition. It's a friendly competition on the road as well because you're, you're each out for a scoop against <laughs> other journos. Um, and look, at the end of the day, you know, when we've all filed, we all would go to the local pub and, mm. you know, have a beer and, and talk about what went wrong in our day and what went right. But, yeah, I do miss it when big stories break. Mm. I, I think, oh, God, I wish I was there. Yeah. Because 
that's what you kind of live for, you know, talking to people and telling people's stories. Um, but it was the day-to-day reporting, sort of the petty crime, a stick-up at 7-Eleven, you know, with a syringe where you're just going, mm. this is a bit soul-destroying. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's sort of, yeah, it just got exhausting. So how did the move from Sydney happen? How long were you working on the Gold Coast? Well, I, I did Gold Coast for six months and then I got picked up for a 5.30 show at Channel 7. It was my first, um, I suppose, Metropolitan on-air gig uh, with a little show called Local Edition. Oh. Uh, it was a 5.30 local current affairs show. So think about ACA, but at 5.30. Yeah, right. And uh, it lasted three months. Yeah. So that was my first taste of being axed. I'd signed a, um, a run of show contract. I'd quit uni, you know, for this big glittering TV career. And then three months later, I found myself out of a job. How did you feel when you got the news? Uh, I was pretty devastated because I'd, I'd been at Seven for, I suppose, I don't know, three, four, almost four years. Mm. And even though I was a casual basis, I'd, you know, these were my friends and I felt like I'd grown up there in a way. So, yeah, that was really hard. And, and for two and a half months, I was out of a job. And, you know, I was looking at perhaps going to be a producer on Big Brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would have led my life into a, an entirely different direction um, because I would have ended up in, you know, production and behind the scenes. Why did you decide not to go that way? Um well, I was offered another job, a researching job, on the desk behind the scenes at um, another 5.30 local mm-hmm. uh, current affairs show um, called Extra at Channel 9. Uh, even though it was off air and I was behind the scenes, I just – I'm not adverse to taking a step back and get and learning, thing, learning how to do things properly. Mm-hmm. I find that I'm more confident if I know how to – how things work, yes. you know. Yeah. Um, it's amazing how many people don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think women. Yeah, like I, I've, you know, I've got one of my good friends. She um, she was going for a, a job um, promotion, and she's like, I just don't feel like I've got the runs on the board yet. And I'm like, do you know what? A bloke would not be saying this. Yes, they'd yes. be going. Well, let's just see how we go. I We're going to fake it. Whereas I felt like I needed to that my scripting needed improving, that I needed a bit more time, you know, chasing, you know, learning how to chase down talent on phones and focus more on rundown construction, whereas the blokes are like, yeah, just throw it at me. Let's see how we go. It's that whole Sheryl Sandberg lean in thing where she says the exact same thing, you know, mm-hmm. women, we want to be 100% across everything and then feel like, okay, I now feel I am fully qualified to put myself forward for that position, whereas a bloke will go, I'm not qualified, but I'll give it a crack. Totally. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. And it's um, it kind of annoys me that I've done that over the years as but well, that I-, I haven't backed myself. But then sometimes I also go and there's, you know, like there was a, you know, I've I've done the hard yards. Mm. Like I just didn't, you know, sweep into Studio 10 and start hosting a show. I have worked in breakfast television twice. I've worked in the Brisbane newsroom. I've worked on the Gold Coast. I've done my time in regions. I've written every, I've done everything from recording the news on videotapes to making coffee to riding the bloody weather to doing <laughs> auto cue. Um, you know, I kind of feel like now, you know what, like I'd, I, I do deserve, you know, to kind of be sitting here. And that, I think that helps your confidence. I think because I think as well sometimes we do get attacked by kind of that imposter 
uh, syndrome and that kind of helps alleviate it a little bit knowing that I've got those runs. Of course. Mm. And I think while it's, you know, a lot of people would argue, oh, well, as women we should just jump on in, taking the gender out of it, I feel like that sort of, at least for me as a person, you seem like the same kind of person. I need to know where the furniture is and how things work to be feel like I have a place in the room. That's true. That's and good. so while even though, okay, I, my, my career might have gone, uh, you know, a lot quicker if I had have just thrown myself in, I as a person don't function that way. I don't want to feel like people are looking at me going, she doesn't know what she's doing, she's faking it. I want to sit in a room and go, I am supposed to be here. And the only way you can do that is if it takes you a really long time of shoveling shit to get to the point where you go, okay, I've done enough of the hard yards, I now deserve a place here. Yeah, you've taken the long way round, you know. Um, You've hit the nail on the head, it's exactly how I feel. And I wonder... If I had been more bolshy and had pushed myself forward, whether I would be where I am, you mm. know, and, you know, it's it's that whole delayed gratification as well. If you're going to do something, do it right. But it's really interesting that you say that you've got to know how things work because you don't want other people thinking she's an imposter, you know, she shit at a job, she mm. shouldn't be here. Are they thinking that or is that what we're Probably thinking? Probably not. That's my issue yeah, exactly. 100%. Yeah, and I'm the same. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't think people really are listening that much. And <laughs> Everyone's I also, so self-absorbed. Yeah, and I also think everybody is in the same boat. I think everybody else is in the room going, how did I get here? I hope nobody yeah. realises that I didn't, you know, I snuck in the back way. I think everybody, we are all trying to do this kind of act of, yep, we got life down pat and, and most of us haven't. And so it's completely my issue, 100%. It's me thinking that other people, but I also know that that feeling of anxiety anxiety in me I don't like it Mm. and the only way I can get rid of it is if I put in the time to feel like I have earned it and then I won't feel that anxiety anymore and I think it's really important as well to have women like you and I who are down the road a bit you know we're we're certainly not at the top of our yeah, top, yeah. Top, 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 top of our game but you know we've got a bit of experience under our belt I think it's important that we do share our experience of feeling a bit insecure oh, yes. and being imposters because I think there are you know probably women who are 10 years behind us going oh they seem like they've got it all together when we don't we're just mm-hmm. making it up as well mm-hmm. and I think I had this you know, great conversation um with this fabulous doctor I know and she said you know as women we want to break the glass ceiling, turn around, reach back and help other women up as well, Mm. you know. And I think what tends to happen, particularly in the media, is that we we are kind of taught to feel that there's only one or two jobs and that we should all be competing with each other. But, you know, the more women there are on TV, the better it is for everyone. A rising tide lifts all boats, you know. There is room for everyone. Mm. There really is. And I think... um, Supporting women and mentoring younger women is something that we should really be doing as well to help them come through. Of course, because it's more, again, it's your own issue if you don't want to help other people out. It's your own insecurity about your own ability. And the truth is there are a million different reasons why you might not get a job and another woman might get it. It's not a personal slight on you. Mm. And there is enough pie for everybody to eat. Mm. You know, and, and at the end of the day, if you get to the top of the tree and you've got no one to turn around and everybody thinks you're an a-hole because you've been horrible to <laughs> it's everybody. It's not fun. It's not fun. Yeah. You know, you just... Well, they, they say already that, you know, success is lonely. It's it's lonely at the top. Yeah, yeah. Finding that fine line and that balance between, 
you know, loving what you do, being good at what you do and not being a total asshole. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't serve any purpose because the business is like tiny, tiny, tiny yeah. and, and people change all the time. The number of times that I've come across people now that, you know, are above me or below me or side to me that I worked with 15 years ago that were like work experience kids that are now in a boss position, like everybody moves within this yeah. business and, and you just never know who you're going to work with again. So why would you want to walk into a room and sit down and go, oh, God, you're that person that I was really horrible <laughs> to. Oh, no. And I, now I'm asking you for a job, you I know. know. It I just, know. And, it, and at, at the end of it, you know, obviously it makes you feel much better about what you're doing if you've been a decent bloody person yeah. during the whole process. Yeah. So when you moved to Sydney, did you have a job that you moved oh, down Oh, yes, I didn't for? answer that question. Please. <laughs> I am all about the tangent. No, no, no. Wow, I was a big tangent. Let oh, my us, God, I forgot about that question. Let us go off piece. Yeah, so I, um, so I uh, had taken, again, the long way around. I was working um, – uh, at Channel 9 as a researcher on that 5.30 local show, mm-hmm. Extra, Brisbane Extra. From there, within a couple of months, I was given an on-air role. I was there for three years. And then I got picked up by the Today Show. So I was the Brisbane reporter for the Today Show. Lasted about a year and a half on that. And there were some big changes, big cuts to the Today Show. I went back to the newsroom, which I really wanted to do. I didn't feel like my I had my news chops that I hadn't had time, you know, doing court stories or the police round or that type of thing. So I spent three years doing that and really hiding my skills as a journal and as a chaser. Um, I was good at getting people across the line to talk and that type of thing. And then I was offered the job at Today Show a second time and um, it included a move to Sydney. So I was really funny about moving to Sydney at the start. Like I, I never thought I wanted to come here. Um, yeah, I was I was born in um, you know in Western Sydney in Penrith. Grew up in Mount Druitt. Moved to, to Queensland when I was seven. But I just I love Brisbane so much, yeah, and man. I just I don't know. I just kind of felt like oh, I was just too small fry for a big city. Really? Yeah, you know, I was this little country mouse moving yeah. to the big smoke. And did you find it hard? I did. I did. I and I made the worst decision um, by moving into a one bedroom apartment. Oh. on my own working oh. crazy hours I didn't know anyone I was so desperately oh lonely God welcome to Hermitsville so mm. stupid yeah. and um and I was sort of living in this weird part of town so I just yeah I was I was super lonely I'd wondered if I'd made the right decision uh the hours were crazy and you know I'd, I was sort of up at three and then I'd a.m to do live crosses and then I'd go and you know, shoot stories and things and, you know, be getting home at six, seven, eight o'clock at night. Like mm. they were insane hours. And then there was another big shift at the Today Show and then I moved to news, which, again, like the nine newsroom in Sydney was something that I was just blown away to be considered for. And, again, that gave me – threw a whole new bunch of challenges at me and a whole new bunch of opportunities, which was fabulous, which was great. Was that the sort of first job that you went, ooh, I could be going somewhere big here. Yeah, and being sent on international stories and things like that, that really um, – it's its weird because it was exciting but also terrifying, mm. you know, and I just it – was a, it was a really stressful time because you're so desperate to, to, to prove yourself mm-hmm. and to impress and, you know, to – you're playing with the big boys, yeah. you know, and, you know, if you, if, you, if you miss a scoop or miss a shot, it's not like, oh, well, try again tomorrow. It's, why'd you miss that? Yeah. Do you know the other, how many other women are, or how many other people are in line for your job, mm. you know, and it was that kind of, 
operating from fear all the time. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, which is I understand it, and like newsrooms do it all the time. Like they they want everybody you. does it. I think in the business, but I still they haven't want you to be hungry. Yeah, yeah, but I haven't quite processed in my mind whether I think that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, it's an interesting management style, isn't it? Yeah, because I think sometimes it can go the other way. I mm. think if you have your employees constantly working from a position of fear and insecurity. Yes, it can make you hungry for something and, you know, make a newsroom kind of like trying to survive the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. But that's also a problem yes. that your newsroom is so divided and, you know, you, you compete with each other so much that you're not a unit. Yeah. And, you know, you're not a team mm. as much. Um, so, But it's it's finding that balance between keeping everyone competitive but also keeping you as a team and as a family because you spend so much of your time there. You want to like the people that you work next to. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have you had any sort of mentors or people through the years that you that have helped you through, or it's been a pretty kind of me myself and I experience? No, I've, look, I've had I've had some great mentors, and um, up until like the last five years, it's mostly been blokes. Mm, yeah, me too. <laughs> and it's, me too. You know, and it's it's funny because I mean. Jessica Rose, one of my biggest mentors now. Um, she is such a delightful human being. It's insane. It is it's insane. I know. I know. She's so nice. It's, she is so sweet. But you know what? She's she's not this um she's not this sickly sweet pushover. She is she's strong mm. and she's smart mm. and she's fierce and she's fiery when she needs to be. The shit that she went through mm. is appalling but i tell you what it's made her what she is today yeah and she is not pushed over by anyone um she um gives me such wonderful advice about all manner of things you know when it comes to juggling kids and work Mm -hmm. um just basic things as well like she can see me getting you know if i get a bit stressed out or anxious over something or if i tend to overthink things like something in a script i'll overthink it and and she'll go just let it go. It's mm-hmm. fine. It's cool, you know. But she's, she's, you know, ten years down from me as well. So I, I hope that I'm saying to that, say, saying that sort of thing to a, a, you know, a girl sort of behind me in the future as well. So she's just great, and she's always there on the phone, ready to, ready to uh, talk me off the ledge if needed. But yeah. until then, though, mostly blokes, mm. and um, I don't know why that is. Why? What? Why did you? Why do you think it is? Because I that that's who I worked with mostly. Yeah. Um. Uh. You know. And while I, while some while some blokes were delightful, a lot were not delightful to me. But I often found with women uh, exactly what you were saying earlier. I guess I was naive in a lot of ways. I came into the media expecting that we were always all going to be great friends, and I'm very competitive with myself. Yeah, but I've too. never been competitive with anybody else I'm just not I just don't care if I win or lose with somebody it doesn't bother me but did I do better than the last time I did that's what I give a shit about Mm. and so I I felt a bit burned by a lot of women that I met early on particularly in radio because I felt like there was a big lot of competition there and that they saw me as a threat and I always thought, well, I'm not here to try and take your job. Like, I don't want to. Uh, so I've, I sort of got to the stage where I'd met more women than like that than not. In the later part of my career, maybe it's because I'm less insecure as a person now than I was back then. Maybe I was attracting the wrong kind of people. I don't know. I, I probably had something to do with it. Maybe it's just because I've been in the business longer. I've found a lot more women like you where I go, oh, 
you know, you think the same as me. You think there's a little yeah. pie for everybody, you yeah. know, and you want to be supportive too. So maybe it's just a time thing that it takes a little longer to find the people that you connect with and that share those values. But eventually the more time you spend in the business, the more you come across those people. And I think you're right though. I think there are much – there are certainly more women in uh, – uh, positions of power mm. uh, that are there to to offer a hand and to lend a hand and to give you advice and because I, I think even when I asked what I started back in 1996 I reckon there are about three women in the newsroom yeah. yeah. and then four if you include the secretary mm. you know and yeah. now I mean I sit on pretty much an all-female panel minus Joe Hildebrand <laughs> who also is a wonderful mentor to yes. me you know he's such a dude yeah, and he's, he's like the you know the big brother I never had and you know he gives me all sorts of advice about all manner of things the bloke is just off the charts crate uh intelligent and crazy um <laughs> but yeah so it's I don't know I, I think it's changed and um I think Maybe the media, it's like there are more jobs. So maybe people are less insecure about – like you think back to 20 years ago, there was like 6 o'clock news, that's it. There wasn't really a daytime news. There weren't mm. too many kind options. of options. Yeah. Yet. So there's more channels now, more opportunities to have part of that pie, as you keep saying. It must be nice being on the show that you're on now where, you know, I've done the show a couple of times and one of the great things is that everybody gets along and you guys are so generous. As a guest, when you come on, sometimes you can go into shows and you're like, oh, this is awkward and I feel a bit weird, like I'm being slotted in and nobody really knows. But you guys are so open and generous and I think a huge amount of that has to do with you individually as people but also your chemistry as a team Mm. you all seem to get along really really well Uh, and I guess when you're kind of assessing your career and thinking about how you feel about how what you're doing that's a big part of it too because you're not sitting on a panel where everybody's aggressively hunger gamesing each other you're sitting on a panel with people who are all professionals in their own right or all confident in their own ability and can actually have a mature open emotionally intelligent relationship with each other while hosting a show at the same time so it's nice look it is nice and um you know we 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 do genuinely get along we are a very close team it's not to say that i mean what we tackle 15 16 topics a day when Mm. we're arguing about anything from politics to religion they say never talk about that sort of stuff and we you know we're we're debating it tooth and nail but you know that Sometimes, you know, some of the arguments can get quite passionate because Mm -hmm. we're all journos. We all have very strong opinions. Mm. But I think we've just learned to park it and know what it is. Yeah. See it for what it is. It's a conversation that we've had on television. It's not an attack on either of us or any of us as as people. Mm. And play the ball, not the man, I suppose. We all kind of that's that's sort of a motto that I certainly live by anyway um and you need to have conflict right if you you were all in furious agreement (laughs) be like yawn (laughs) and it's so funny as well because you don't know which way some people are going to sorry about that Uh, you don't know which way some people are going to go um from day to day and um how people you know are going to react like there are some things that I think Jess is going to answer it this way and she'll completely surprise me Mm. and argue passionately about something you know in a totally different way or regard she'll come at it from such an interesting unusual angle and I must say like sometimes I I walk away from some of our conversations going I actually feel like I got smarter from that yeah which is great (laughs) and that's a good that's a good space to be in yeah where you learn something Mm. and you have 
you know, have your views challenged? And I'm not one of those people that's completely dogmatic and thinks that it's my way, you know, it's my opinion. Mm. I want to be challenged. Yeah. You know, make me think. Yeah. You know, make me change my point of view. Argue it. That's why I could never do AM radio because I am a bendable read. If you give me a logical <laughs> explanation, then I will completely do a 180 on my point and go, that is an excellent point. I'm coming over to your side now. And don't you find that so hard as well about writing opinion columns? Yes, because yeah. you can see both sides so clearly and you just go oh god I can't get angry and can't get yeah I, I can't get irate about one side <laughs> yeah yeah it's very it's very difficult because uh, everybody wants that sort of staunch opinion and I'm like yeah I'll have a staunch opinion on certain things like if people are assholes to other people that kind of sort of realm of behavior I'm I get very aggressively angry about but you know there's certain things I understand everybody is different and people have different opinions and I can appreciate that that person over there thinks that way and that you know and nobody Nobody has it right. Mm. Yeah, nobody has it 100% right all the time. But you want to be exposed to good ideas. And I think the whole idea that people just want to watch people be perpetually angry at, at, at each other mm. is just so off the mark. Yeah. It's boring and it's predictable and makes me frustrated when I see just people constantly yelling at each other. It's like, oh, God, turn it off. But like, it's also – get anywhere? It's also why shows like MasterChef do so well because it's like people pumping up other people's tyres, people celebrating like the everyday man who's got really good skills. And Like I bawled my eyes out at the first episode of this, se- of this season because oh. it's just nice people who are coming on and going oh this is a little thing I cooked and it's like better than you can get in any restaurant and all of the chefs are like oh you know Gary and George and, and um, Matt yeah. are like high-fiving each other and you're just like this is nice people like to watch nice people giving each other high fives. Feel good telly. Yeah it's just sort of feel good TV. Um, you were saying that the, a couple of the things that you had been to like Gallipoli and um, and the wedding of uh, the Duke and Duchess uh, were big moments for you but obviously in every career there are just those ridiculous nothing (laughs) stories that you cover and I bring this up because I want to know what one of the worst was and I also want to know if it might be the story that we first met on which was when you came to Triple M and we did a which spray tan is testing fake tans (laughs) That was a good one. Oh, no, I can do better. Oh, can you, oh I can please? do better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, an actual story that I've done that um, I can't believe I presented with a straight face. How to get buried on a budget. <laughs> <laughs> How to get buried on a budget. What yeah. was so we looked at all different types of coffins and um, oh, it, it, it actually it actually came the story came up because someone had said I want to be buried in a cardboard box. And after a few phone calls, we discovered that in Queensland, you can't legally be buried in a cardboard box. Oh, you right. can only be buried in a balsa wood box. Okay. Which led us to think, well, let's look at all the different ways you can get buried. Um, yeah. So, I've, look, I've done some crazy stories um, in, in the past, but I think they're the ones that challenge you as a writer. Oh, yeah. And they challenge the way you – the production that you use, the shots that you use, the way you kind of tell the story visually, um, your scripting. Yeah, I always, I always found those quirky stories – kind of fun to do and we would we had this great um office where i had two of my best three of my best friends working in the same office Mm. we would work our guts out all week and then 
go to the pub all weekend. We just yeah. had, it was the best life. And we would all compete with each other for the best pieces to camera, the best oh, opening cool. line. Like we'd use great music. Like we all egged each other on to make yeah. the best TV. Yeah, it was a pretty fun three years at Extra, that's for sure. What a pity when you did that uh, How to Be Buried story that the old coffin kiosk at Costco hadn't been opened Oh, yet. I know. Costco wasn't even thought of back <laughs> Cos- then. I, t- I tell you what, though, I did draw the line because there was there was a suggestion that I should do a piece of oh, camera coming out, no. <laughs> coming out of a surprise <laughs> out of a coffin. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that, that was that's probably my most memorable. It's important that we all have boundaries. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, you know true. what? No, I'm probably not going to start this in a coffin. Uh, do you remember what, what the call-up was like when you got the job here uh, at Studio 10? Yeah, do you remember? Do. Were you, like, doing backflips? Were you excited? Yeah, well... I How was, did it come about? Well, it was, it was kind of... It was, it was at a really funny time where I'd, I had kind of hit this weird... Uh, crisis of conscience. Um, I was 33 and I wanted to have a family and I I didn't think that working 12, 16 hours a day on the road was conducive to that. Mm-hmm. So I started thinking, do I need to change jobs? Do I need something that's um, where I can have a bit more life balance? I loved my job mm-hmm. so much at Channel 9, but it, my job was my life. Yeah. And um, you know, I didn't have much time for anything else. So I started looking around and I was on Seek. And <laughs> looking oh, at, we've looking all at, been there. Looking at PR jobs. <laughs> yeah, we've I'm all been maybe there. maybe I'll have some balance if I'm, you know, in PR. Um, and then just out of the blue, um, Rob McKnight, who's the executive producer, he used to run the promos department at Channel 9. And he said, look, I'd love to um, screen test you for this little morning show that we're, we're getting up. And... I think you'd be a great host. And, you know, I was like, oh, my God, on a panel with Ida Buttrose <laughs> and Joe Hildebrand, there's no way. Yeah. You know, a media icon and Joe. And um, he's like, just come in and screen test. Just just do it anyway. So I did. And it just felt felt good. Mm. And, you know, when you, you know, when you do something and you, you, you kind of know that you nailed it. Yeah. That's, I, I just went, you know, I, I felt really good about it. And then I got offered the job and it was it was a really big decision, you know. Do I leave, you know, Channel 9 where I've been for 12 years, have given me these amazing opportunities? Do I, you know, hang around and, and hope that perhaps a presenting job comes up mm-hmm. or do I take a risk? And I went, you know what, like I'm going to take a risk. I, I, you know, I'm a big believer in the fact that fortune favours the brave. Mm-hmm. And I also I – w- I wanted to get in on Channel 10 that was sort of – it was, you know, it was, it was going up again, you know, mm-hmm. and I wanted to get in before it hit the peak. And I don't know, I just – I liked the irreverence of 10. I think when, you know, you're not number one and there's not a number one crown at stake, you're in a position to take more chances mm-hmm. and be yourself, you know, and – I, I liked that. I liked that idea that I could be myself, find out what works. And I, I remember thinking to myself, if this doesn't work, I'm done. Yeah. I, I've, I've done my time in telly now. But, God, it was just it – was, it was such perfect timing for mm. me. And it has opened, you know, my life up to so many wonderful things. It meant that, you know, I've been able to have a baby, a beautiful little boy, um, I'm in this job that I just adore so much and was my baby for a long time before Paul came along. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just it, it just feels like the perfect balance, the perfect blend. And then I start thinking it's such, so perfect 
it can't last forever. Oh, you a doomsdayer oh, too, yeah. <laughs> What's going to go wrong? Uh, oh, and, and then you're like, oh, God. Because <laughs> it it's, it's such a gift, yeah. you know, um, to have this. And you know that it's the nature of the media. Not everything lasts forever, mm. although I'd like it to. Um, but if you've struggled too and you've worked really hard and you haven't had those opportunities, you know, you haven't been given things on a platter. So there is that sense that, you know, you're not used to being the person who has the perfect job, the perfect life, you know, not obviously everything not perfect but that sense of what's gonna go wrong yeah you can't help it because it's sort of you it's not something you're used to so I don't think you can help but feel that way but I think it's such an important thing to feel because that's what keeps you trying Mm. and that's what makes you feel like okay I'm gonna give this my all so that you don't turn around at the end of 5 10 15 years whatever if it if the show it was to ever stop you won't turn around and go oh god I should have put in more effort yes and you can't become complacent I think that's um, definitely a very key point but also you don't don't want to live from a place of constant fear mm. and constant insecurity. What I've tried to channel some of that into is being grateful yeah. and knowing that it all could go belly up tomorrow. So enjoy it mm-hmm. now. Um, be present, be in the moment. Um, but yeah, I think the moment you get complacent and the moment you get cocky, the moment you've got to get out of the game. Definitely. How has having a family changed things for you? Do you know what? I think it's given me a, an extra kind of extra depth as um, someone who sits on a on a panel and and uh, commentates uh, and comments on things I think it's a real day. asset in this business yeah I, I know that it fe- I know I've, I've seen interviews where you've said previously that there was a part of you that was like oh goodness having children like it does that mean they're gonna replace me is that you know there well, is that how, fear well, you know you have a look at you know <laughs> just recently Talitha Cummins one of my yeah. dearest friends you know she's had to go to court and fight Channel 7 after they sacked her on maternity leave. Mm. Jessica Rose written about it in her book, mm-hmm. uh, being sacked from Channel 9. So I can't believe this shit still happens. Yeah. And, yeah, I'd, I'd be lying if I, you know, said that I wasn't worried about it and that it's all cool. I've got to say, though, Channel 10 has been pretty brilliant when it comes to me having babies. I was heavily pregnant doing Shark Tank. Mm. Heavily mm. pregnant. I mean 37 weeks pregnant. Wow. They had to shoot me from different <laughs> angles because I was so huge. But I actually thought that was so cool that they, yeah. you know, because I actually said, I said, oh, look, do, do you still want to use me? I am going to be very heavily pregnant. And our program director, Bev McGarvey, who was going through her second pregnancy at the time, she's like, yeah, absolutely. You know, people get pregnant, people have babies. And I thought that was the coolest thing mm. and the best approach and really enlightened to to say that to someone, you know, like I was 95 kilos in heels, you know, yeah. they could have gone, well, you know, you're just not the, the right look, but it didn't matter. Yeah, I thought that was cool. And there's plenty of women watching who are pregnant or otherwise or who are like, oh, look at that, a woman just like me on That's the telly. Right. And like even, you know, even with Studio 10 being pregnant, you know, there was no hiding the bump. I got shown from every single <laughs> angle. And you know what? Most of the most of the feedback was pretty positive. And yeah. I think people um, I think people have become more used to pregnant bellies on television. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nikki Buckley, uh, we had her on the show. She used to be, of course, on um, Wheel of Fortune. Yes. And she said that when she was pregnant and wore uh, a formal gown that showed her belly in all of its gorgeous beauty and glory mm. she could hate mail wow saying you know it was disgusting it was akin to being naked on tv okay. and you just think how much have we changed but how much still remains the same yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. What, what do you think is the best and the worst thing about the business oh the best thing about the business is 
the adrenaline, the buzz. You know, when you just you come off air or you you nail an interview, and and it's almost like everything in the universe is working in perfect harmony, yeah. and it just feels just feels right. Um, that's the best thing: the buzz, the adrenaline. The worst thing would be the insecurity. I think yeah. just the you know being insecure about losing your job and how you look. And, mm. But I suppose every job does have an element of that um, where you think it might all end tomorrow. Mm. Um, so that would be the best and worst. Do you still get nervous? You know, I do sometimes um, if we've got a great guest on. Oh, there's always a butterf- butterfly. Yeah, yeah. In fact, Richard Wilkins. I asked him this same question when I first started out on the Today Show. And he said, yeah, I get nervous all the time. And the moment you don't get nervous is when it's time to give the game away mm. because you're not having fun anymore and you don't care about what you're putting to air. Yeah. But particularly if it's a big interview, uh, you know, or a really um, – a guest that I really admire, like Andrew Denton was on our panel. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, like for two and a half hours. I'd I just felt sick. I was yeah. like, oh, my God, I shouldn't be sitting here. You should be sitting here, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's also hard when you sit down next to people who you just desperately want them to walk away and go, they were delightful, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, I've got to get that balance between not trying too hard but like being impressive. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I think, you know, a degree of nerves is – is always good because it keeps you on your game. Mm, you know? Definitely. When, when, when you're operating from that place of um, f- slight fear and definitely adrenaline, you know, that's why live TV is always um, – I mean, it's it's live and it's dangerous and it's it's got this raw energy about mm. it. So, yeah. yeah, and it's a real skill to keep it on track when it fall, when the wheels fall off, mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> which you are exceptionally good at, I have oh, to say. Oh, thanks. Uh, right, we're down to the final five questions oh. now. Ooh, we, we got like through speed it. round? <laughs> yeah, it is. We're into the speed round. I wish I had an impressive like choo-choo-choo <laughs> intro or something to put in, uh, but those little crappy sound effects will have to do. The first question, your biggest regret? Ooh. My biggest regret is not just relaxing earlier you know it probably wasn't until like I was 30 that things started to really click into place like for a good 10 years from in my 20s I was so bloody hard on myself Mm. I just wished I would have relaxed a bit gone with the flow a bit more you know people would always go you just got to relax you just got to relax it's like you're making me stressed by saying I'm gonna relax (laughs) I, 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 I kind of I wish I was a bit more relaxed in my 20s and um had cooled my jets a little bit in a way because the moment you, you do relax into it, things just start happening for you. But maybe you needed that non-relaxed time to get to your relaxed time. Well, this is it, isn't it? <laughs> it's like a sliding doors moment. Yeah, you, you just know? never know. You don't know which way the universe would have led you. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Your dream gig. I think it might be this one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I Honestly, it is the, it's the perfect balance. I get to laugh. I get to uh, have passionate arguments with people. We get to inter- interview incredible people. It's a pretty sweet gig. Mm. It's a pretty sweet gig. And if it can last for another 10 years at least, I'll be very happy. Is there a big idea that you've had that has yet to get up or something that you've still got on the to-do list? No, no. I don't really have no. Are you one of those people that wants to write a book one day? Oh, or? like that sort of thing. I thought you meant about TV. No, I mean it could be TV. TV could be anything. No, could I, be, you I, could I, want to start a band. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? It's funny. I um, I would, I would love to write a book. Um, fiction, nonfiction. 
probably nonfiction. Oh, do you have the imagination for it? I would love to too, but I don't have the imagination for a fake story. No, nonfiction. Oh, nonfiction. <laughs> oh, God. I'm thinking, oh, shit, I've, I've got it wrong. No, I've okay. got it wrong. Um, no. I've just, you've said words and I've heard what I wanted to hear. <laughs> well, I've actually got, I've got, a, I've got a, an idea for a, a kind of a, a memoir, which is nonfiction, but with fictional parts to it. So... I don't know. I actually t- I took some time off um, about eight weeks uh, when I was over at nine and I went to Paris and mm. I just sat in the cafe and just brainstormed and drank coffee and I, ha- I haven't gone anywhere with it yet but um, it's uh, it's sitting there in the back shelf of my brain. That's but like cool. I don't know, I just sort of think because I'm the only one on my panel that hasn't written a book. Jess has written a book, Ida's written a book, Joe's written a book, right. Denise has written a book. And I go – does anyone really want to read a story about me? Do. do you know what I mean? Of like it's just, and it just seems do. like such a such a self absorbed <laughs> <laughs> pursuit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's almost like you know wanting to run a marathon. I feel like I've got to tick it off my list at some point, but I feel like I've still got some stories that I need to that I need to live before I put them down on paper. Um, if, if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? I always think about this because, you know, I am um, such a doomsdayer that I think that I might. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The, my latest thing is that um, I'd like to open a Pilates studio. Oh, which, I love this. Which, I will come to your classes. Which, which my husband just thinks is so funny. That or open a bookstore. I love walking past bookstores and smelling books. They're I, coming back now. Oh, I love them. Yeah, it's like the Polaroid camera, you know, every Everybody stopped making Hipster. Polaroid film and then people were like, oh, I really miss the Polaroid camera. Same with vinyl, it's coming back. Apparently people are getting eye strain from the Kindle and books are coming back. Oh, but there's something about holding a oh, book, yes. isn't there, and dog-earing the pages. Yeah. I can't bear reading on a Kindle or anything electronic. I just need to be holding the book. Yeah. And I think having something like... Yeah, having something like a little bookshop or something, it's like a bit of a romantic kind of idea, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that old Pilates studio, which Tom also says, you hardly go to Pilates classes as it is. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but if, but if I owned one, I'd yeah. feel like I had to go. It would be different. Is that just your tactic to make yourself go to Pilates? Yeah, pretty much. Just buy my own. Just own the studio. Yeah. So it's a financial decision. Yeah. Uh, and finally, your <laughs> advice to people wanting to get into the business. Go the long way round. Do the hard yards. Don't take anything for granted. Be curious and stay humble. Good advice. And on that note, you now get to go home. You've been at work all morning. So thank you so much for joining me, Sarah. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, darling. Thanks for listening to You've Got to Start Somewhere. Thanks. To subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes, and keep up to date, head to you've got to start somewhere.com. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Sarah Harris. What a delightful human she is. And next week on the show, another delightful human, one of the hosts of The Project, a man who's been making us laugh on our TV screens and on radio and on stage for many years, Mr. Peter Hellier. We talk about how he got into the business, some of the early gigs he'd rather forget, and of course his time on Rove Live, including the transition from Channel 9 to Channel 10 when Channel 9 cancelled the show originally and the decision that Rove made during that time that changed Peter's career. It was just such an amazing experience. And we did the pilot early that year and then like we did the series later that year and then they let us go. They wanted to keep Rove. And Rove, to his undying credit, my career is, is based on a lot of what happened uh, with Rove. He was offered, I know, he was offered like a million dollars to wow. stay. He's a 23-year-old. But to cast everybody else adrift. And he was fearful 
of being warehoused, but also he knew. I think he had a, he had a good thing. He had a good team, and they said no, without the promise of anything. He wasn't walking away going, okay, "Channel Ten will pick this up." That was not on the cards. The last thing he wanted to do was be put into a game show that he didn't want to do, and that yeah. was the stage where people were paid good money to not do a lot. Mm. And that's, Rove had no interest in that. Mm. With that said, a million dollars at twenty three. That's incredible. I hope you'll join me for that episode next week. I'll see you then. <laughs>